This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Welcome to the podcast, Remy. I'm going to butcher in the name and say it in the American version. Remy Spanger, Director of Games at Hyper Hippo. Welcome. Hey, pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, uh, on the podcast. Of course, of course. So for folks who don't know you or don't know Hyper Hippo that well, mm-hmm. can you briefly describe what you do at Hyper Hippo and what is Hyper Hippo? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, director of games, bit of an unusual title, uh, but essentially I head up the games division of our company. Uh, so yeah, we've been around for, I think it's almost nine years now. I've been here personally for uh, last three uh, in various roles, kind of touched on everything. My personal experience is weird combination of production and creative at the same time, always been a designer, but keep ending up as a product manager, producer. Um been through the indie scene, been in Gameloft uh, recently, recently, I guess, but three years ago, came from EA, 
and uh, yeah, wound up at Hippo, which is very interesting uh, little company with uh, a couple of games you may have heard of, Venture Capitalist, Venture Communist, uh, Venture Ages, maybe a couple in the hopper. And, uh, and yeah, some, some serious idol specialists kind of helped uh, pioneer the genre across. And yeah, for the last three years, I've been lucky enough to be a part of multiple teams trying to continue that legacy, trying to find the next thing and uh, trying to really understand <laughs> why this genre still works and still brings people in. All right. Before we start talking about more about idle games, how big is Hyper Hippo nowadays? Uh, we are in a nice growth period. Uh, so we have always been a relatively small company, but in this last year, we have scaled up to about 85, 86 and continuing to scale. Yeah, that's definitely not an idle pace. Uh, <laughs> all right. I promise not to do any more dad jokes. Everyone uh, gets one. <laughs> no more dad jokes. I'm sorry even about that one. Uh, anyway, here's what I wanted to ask. Like the first question when we we're just designing or talking about doing this podcast was, how come so many companies, you know, especially new startups who are just starting up their company, the first game that they make is either hyper casual, but that's kind of difficult. People are understanding that the marketing part of hyper casual is really the challenge, not actually, you know, making the little game, but a lot of companies equally as many, or I would even argue that more are making idle game as their first game. And it's in the scenarios where these people who are starting a company, they don't even like idle games. Like it's mm. not a type of game that they've been playing and they started this company to make an idle game. The, the perception, and let me know if this is misconception, is that idle game is very easy to make. It makes good amount of money and it kind of kicks off. It kind of teaches you the basic of free to play because you're able to build a, a free to play economy. Uh, you can advertise it with probably pretty low CPIs, drive a lot of traffic, do some ad monetization. Probably the monetization is 50-50. So you're learning the both monetization, both in-app purchases and in-app ads. And you're learning how to run a game with a relatively small team. And then you're off to the races. And then you can make an MMO that you wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that is certainly the perception. Um, when you got to the end there, you started talking about the monetization and, and you know the team size. I think those are the parts that were very true. And the problem is that I think everything up to that point is a bit of a misconception. Um, so, I mean, the first thing I'll say is like, they're really hard to make. Like, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say the thing that everyone has to acknowledge is every once in a while you can stumble on greatness. It's always going to be true. You make 10,000 games. One of them will probably be awesome and that's fair. But if you're trying to get out there to just specifically sit down, deconstruct, sorry, I'm going to do it too. Deconstruct what makes idle games work. Uh, it builds on a lot of really, really solid core design principles um, that again are just deceptively simple. And I'll probably use that phrase multiple times because it is kind of the core of it. Because you take a look and especially at our products, right? Venture Capitalist is one of like the, the games. It helped pioneer the genre. It's the one that a lot of people play to get to that next one. And the reason it's kind of still on the market is because it's just the simplest, most bared down version that you could possibly have of an idle game. So it's so easy to look at that and be like, I, I can draw 10 progress bars. I can hire a guy. I can make this like a, like a calculator in high school. Uh, and then you find out that it is all about getting into hard systems. It's about truly understanding how retention works. It's about understanding how attention works, how people engage with different products. And yeah, so why is it a, why is it not necessarily a great idea? I mean, for one thing, if you're trying to build your first game, maybe start with something you're passionate about and truly want to understand. Um, but if you dive into thinking that it's gonna be easy, unfortunately, now it's a flooded market of people who thought it was gonna be easy and it's just really not the case. Yeah, when looking even at the market numbers, I was, uh, so this is just 
us pulling numbers from Sensor Tower and Great and, and using their taxonomy. Um, according to the numbers that I'm seeing, idle genre did not really grow in 2020, which just speaks of how incredibly competitive it is mm -hmm. because the market grew on average almost 30%. Yeah, and I'll I'll say the rough thing. I'll, I'll give the the speech that I talked to my team about lately that I think is interesting. Um, I don't even think idle games are a genre. That's just to, just to break it all into pieces right now. Um, so the fact that it's almost being treated as a genre, that fact that it's becoming one, kind of helped and hurt. It made people more familiar with it. You slap idle on it, suddenly people understand. Um, but the the core mechanics, like an idle game, used to be clones of AdCap. It used to be, we'll make progress bars in our game and put a new skin on it. And that's, that's an idle game. But recently it's transitioned into just visual games that progress while you're offline. And that's a pretty damn broad definition. I mean, you could squeeze almost anything. If Farmville was an idle game, you would yeah. plant your crops, you'd log off, time would pass, you'd come back. So it's interesting because in some ways the, in some ways the market isn't growing. And in some ways it's just because it's actually being co-opted into other genres. Like there's other products that are now realizing that it's a pretty damn great retention hook to have progress happening, to have additional reasons to log in. So that's my theory for the direction. Um, but in practicality, when you still stop idle on it, it just means that now there's 10,000 products in a very small pond. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. RPG was probably one of the first genres that really took on the idle mechanic and basically removed gameplay. Like AFK Arena, yeah. maybe the best best example. and and Pretty much every every other games just started following that same type of approach, um, which makes sense. Nobody plays yeah. RPGs; people just watch it and and get the loot. <laughs> so that is as idle as you can get. Um, so walk me through of making an idle a successful idle game, and let's use Adventure Capitalist as an example. Like, how did the idea come by? Uh, how was the concept received internally? Did you do any marketability testing for it? Um, you know, how do you how do you how do you even start with an idea of adventure capitalist? That sounds so boring. Uh, I don't know, maybe because I know a few venture capitalists. <laughs> I would never want to play <laughs> like that. Stop like, buttering so me more up cooler here. Professions than being a venture capitalist. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll go through the, I've told the story a lot of times. I know the story's out there, so I'll go through it relatively quick. So you have to remember that because it was, there weren't really idle games on the market at the time, it's not going to have like, a, it's not going to be like if you're starting an idle game today. Um, and of course, I'm going to give full credit while I can to Cody Vigu, the original designer. Uh, there's a big team around them. Uh, Tristan Retank had, had a big hand in it as well, just to give the appropriate shout outs. Um, but I'll tell the story as I understand it, and it's now seven, eight years ago, so they probably have better details. But um, they were making a ton of prototypes at the time. They were trying to find the thing that would work. No one was trying to make an idle game. No one was trying to make that thing. No one started with a, hey, it has to be a capitalist. No. So they were just coming up with ideas. And the legend goes that Cody pitched the idea of a bunch of progress bars that fill up and generate cash. And he was told universally it was a terrible, terrible idea. Everyone unanimously agreed. So he went home, taught himself how to code, built it himself, brought it back to the studio and no one could put it down for two weeks. Wow. So that's, that's basically how it happened. And uh, I, I, I won't speak for him for how much was intentional and how much was just kind of lucking out, but um, those systems already exist as we talked about, right? They're kind of RPG systems. You're generating numbers. You're building up on the, like you and I probably seen 10,000 games. I got a crit, I got a headshot, numbers pop up, hooray. Um, but he 
coupled it with that capitalist theme and suddenly it works for everybody because everyone understands money everyone wants it to go up everyone gets that you know in our game you tap a lemon and money pops out it's the most like high concept game in the world it only exists in your head but by slapping those dollar signs on it the whole thing made sense to everybody who picks it up and you start playing it and you just can't stop and you don't know why and you'll make a joke to your friends about how it's not a game and then six months later you realize you haven't put it down mm. so that is kind of the story for how that game came to be is it is it how you make games now like i understand that was seven years ago um market is a little bit different right now uh role of advertising is it now is just confusing but let's say a year <laughs> ago it was it was uh, critical <laughs> so how do you how do you prove a concept now do you still go with that approach of somebody like people make prototypes and somebody comes up with a prototype that everybody keeps playing in, at the studio for a couple of weeks that's the game we should be making it's it's honestly it's really tough um because we are growing and we are trying to be we don't want to lose you know that special moment right my god do we want to tell 30 more stories about games that lasted for seven years that came out of one guy's random action so mm -hmm. we do still have game jams we still try to make sure that we take the time to have like you know one swim lane essentially of a, of a team that's just trying to make crazy stuff that, that's very important to us sometimes we slow it down sometimes we speed it up depending on other projects but you also have to be a little bit more realistic if you're trying to make an idle game right now you probably don't want to be one more company throwing something into the water right you, you want to build on what are we good at what are we capable of let's do insane analyses of what this market actually looks like and why are some games winning and some games losing so we're trying to take a little bit of both we don't want to lose that spark but we also had to be a little bit more intentional about marketing side what themes are going to work what are the cpis as you mentioned you know what are the games that actually you're pulling off appropriate spend it's it's a lot more science now than i think is not necessarily as comfortable for everybody uh and again that's why we're trying to keep the, the little bit more of the art uh, as well um but really you have to be a lot more careful these days about diving into an existing market how do you so i understand market research is important you're looking at you know calibri they released the uh the, um, the latest game was was it firefighter uh or something yes, I I have not played that one yet. I'll be uh, honest about that. <laughs> I'll admit I haven't played anything else except the Idle Miner, and I wasn't hooked. But I'm not the target audience. So, anyways, how do you? So you look at the market. You look at what kind of games there are existing. So naturally, you don't want to make exactly the type of game that already is in the market and just call it with exactly. a different name. Uh, so there are certain op openings for certain themes. But how do you do the testing? Because you said uh, you're trying to gouge the CPI and the marketability of the game. What do you do? Yeah, there? I mean. We're we're trying not to get too we're trying not to be slaves to that of course but it's also being aware that you know certain themes are going to you know have a really small addressable market as yeah. a, a one-off we're going to know that you know there's a reason why two of our products have gotcha in them it's just a it's a nice way of getting over the idle games monetized terribly hump mm -hmm. um so there is that side but yeah for how we test it um it's part of what drew me to uh to hippo initially and something that you know we're continuing to get trying to get better at but we want to get games in the hands of players as soon as possible we're actually quietly in the middle of you know testing some things right now as far as i'll say um but yeah the the whole like kind of our whole development plans are centered around um i like to say building games right it's a really arrogant concept but that's generally what we're aiming for uh but we start with you know we try to find the ideas we try to find the ones that resonate first with the team then outwards with the larger company as a whole um 
but that's dangerous. You know, can 80 people be a perfect sample size if they write demo? You can get stuck there. But the point is to make something that we believe in that we can then get in the hands of players as soon as possible, start building up some some steam, some momentum, and then kind of move on from there with I like to say like the players have to eventually become the vision holders for a product because there's only so long that it can kind of live in your gut. So do I read this correctly? You just make the game extremely fast for a test market. I'd love to say extremely fast. <laughs> say we're aiming for extremely fast and I promise we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's certainly the goal is we want to get it out into the hands of players as soon as possible. I'd say the biggest challenge is you could do that in a weekend and I, they did with Adventure Capitalists. The bar is just so much higher. Like mm -hmm. imagine you were trying to do that with AFK Arena today. Imagine what you would need to have prepared in order to, to actually test the game. It can't just be, we have one stick figure fighting another stick figure. No. Will that be enough to actually prove out a concept? So it takes longer and longer the the bigger and flashier the market gets, but still the goal. But at the same time, you are a very focused studio and very focused company. You do only idle games, if I'm correct. So that allows you to move much faster than any other competitor because you are you have essentially the the idle engine that you can um, you know modify or tweak a little bit based on the uh, the theme or the new innovations you're adding. But nevertheless, I would assume shipping a new game for a test launch market that allows you to really gouge, let's say the first week of gameplay uh, should be incredibly fast at Hyper Hippo. If we were staying close enough, like if we made another game like Calm, mm -hmm. absolutely. You know, those games come up really quickly. The thing that I'll say, if we're gonna talk a bit more about the market is it's transitioning so quickly into a visual space um, that if we weren't going that direction, we don't believe that we'd be able to compete for much longer. Mm. Um, so as soon as you get into a visual space, Yes, we have that. We have the math. We're confident in our ability to to balance. We understand how to make idle work, how to how to make it retain players, and yeah, we even have some some code to pull from to to get ourselves kicked off. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to like idle miner, for instance, they're trying to prove it a visual hook of the of the three way relationship between generators. You have to have something that you can put in there. Mm -hmm. It's going to be tied to it, and, and they did a great job by going so simple. But at the same time, it's why you compare it to AFK Arena because if that's the target you're going for. Doesn't matter how cool your idle systems and your and your math is behind the scenes, you need two awesome warriors fighting each other and popping out a gotcha. So it, it does take longer, but speed is key. Got it. So production values are going up, and that is slowing down the production process, and it's also likely slowing out slowing up the live ops as well. So let's move on to the next subject and talk about the uh, the development process. So mm -hmm. I mean, we talked about the development process, but I'm, what I'm really interested in and the evolution of these games, you know, um, how do you look at the audience? How do you decide what kind of updates you're making to basically your live services? Because these are what, Ad Adventure Capitalist is seven years, correct? Yes, uh, yeah, sorry, so it's um, six year anniversary. I don't want to miss that. It's it's in its seventh year, Paul. Exactly, so that's a lot of live services over the time. <laughs> yes. You got the, uh, yes. the uh, the Kami game as well. So that, that has gotten some, some, some live services. So I'm just curious, like, how do you do, how do you add content in a game that is essentially just filled up with progress bars? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like, yeah, what do you look at? Yeah, I mean, there's two sides. There's we do have our own kind of content treadmill, and that is with us the you know the live events that that happen um, you know with some games on a weekly basis, with other games more frequently. Um, so I mean, that is the simple live ops, and I'll say that we actually were too heavily leveraged on that with Cap, for instance. Like there's a few years where that was almost all we really did, just because it was working so effectively. And I'll be honest, there's almost a perception like Cap is so simple 
uh, almost the perception was a house of cards and everyone was really afraid if they just touched their own card the whole thing would fall down um but yeah if you put aside the um if you put aside the content treadmill which you can be relatively confident every game has an lde i'm pretty sure you guys did ten thousand articles on it um but uh but if you put that aside yeah we're doing some challenging stuff right now which is trying to find new features and i think honestly that's the same challenge that uh, that any game has is trying to figure out how well you understand your own players how much different of an experience can you give them while still actually satisfying that core gameplay and you know i like to use venn diagrams way too much but the goal of any kind of new content to add your product should almost be a one-to-one -one venn diagram and the farther it spreads apart probably the poorer of an investment it was. So anyway, I know that was technical crap, but <laughs> what we're trying to do is really find the best path for ourselves in a given time. And it's not easy, especially with a game like Cap, which is six years old and has a very Indeed. calcified player base. And is, again, it's actually probably in its best interest. That's as simple as possible because it's just that core experience that has been so incredibly effective. And again, you could be taking out the wrong card from the, from the stack. So how do you how do you understand the audience? You mentioned that you know you're very audience focused. Mm -hmm. What do you do? What what tools do you use? And and you know yeah, just how do you how do you talk to the audience? Yeah, I mean I'll I'll do say that we we do have a pretty strong data pipeline. Uh, we do believe a lot in data, and we you know, we believe in A/B tests as, as much as everyone does. And no, I say that, but but a lot of people don't A/B test. I don't understand it. Everyone mm -hmm. A/B tests. That's all you should take from this. Um, but yes, we do a lot of testing. We try to make sure that we're getting an accurate understanding. We also have a really fantastic um, PX and uh, and community teams that do a ton of work to make sure they're actually involved. They've gotten like, they were always good, but they've gotten so much better in the last couple of years. It's uh, it's mind blowing. So they're trying so hard to be a genuine voice for the community, bring actual feedback back to, uh, to the game teams. Um, but part of it is you have to kind of be, I don't want to necessarily say fans yourself because like not everyone has to love that kind of game to play it, but you have to play everything to understand it. You have to play what's, what are my players playing that are, that they're also playing with the competition or what's the thing they're looking for or, you know, what, what are the actual experiences that either are or aren't being reflected in our product that are missing or maybe even overdone. Um, no one has a perfect picture though of what their, what their players truly want. It's just an evolving uh, image we're trying to build. Got it. So essentially using um, a tripod model. So you play your own game and you trust your own gut feel, feeling. That's one. Um, you listen to the community. You have community managers and they bring in the, uh, the sort of a qualitative, very um, niche community feedback from, from the audience that, that, you know, influence the decision making to some extent. Mm -hmm. And then you're very data, um, data driven or uh, data informed either or so there, yeah. there's two approaches um probably more data informed where you look at your you know how different cohorts are behaving and how different features are coming in and you're a b testing the new features and understanding how those features actually uh work over the time before scaling them up to a larger audience exactly all right um but you're not why well, i asked that because you're not using any of the uh you know the the other tools that have been coming throughout the times, you know, like the uh, the twelve trades, the geek labs, those those type of uh, either audience research or or marketability testing tools. Uh, I shouldn't say that. So, um, I mean, part of the fact that we're we're growing so much is there's a lot of shoutouts. Our marketing team as well has been using a lot of their own. Um, mm. God, I, I'd give the names, but I'm just terrible at names. They, they're <laughs> using numerous new research tools. Uh, I'd say it's better than ever. It's definitely newer for us. I'd say in the last six months to a year, we're actually really starting to pick up steam. I'll be honest, that's more tempting to use it with figuring out new products than it is to kind of 
deep dive into a, a six-year-old game. Um, but yeah, we're definitely becoming more of a part of that. It's just, I'll be, I'll be honest, I'm personally nervous about it. I'm always like, all right, is this actually indicative of what the players feel? Like you look at any one data source and believe it too strongly, and I get nervous because you, you yeah. can never be completely confident. Well, for you, it's easy to test because you've been doing this uh, you have games that are, you know, stable um, legacy titles, if you will, and mm. you have existing way of interpreting and, and gathering data. So adding another data source yeah. can be easily verified because you just compare it to what you have. You're a very A-B testing driven culture. So you can even see if the hypothesis that the tool provides are correct by A-B testing it. And if they're not, well, then the tool doesn't work for you. And then that's it. So uh, I think with with companies like like yours, with games like like you have, testing new tools is actually quite uh, straightforward. Yeah, it's certainly a lot easier than it was, um, simply because, as you say, you have so many different vectors to measure from. But uh, but yeah, I'd say that one of the biggest differences is we tend to get qualitative data from. Um, uh, from research, right? So if research says that people like feeling this and then you, okay, I'm going to give them a system I think will make them feel that way. Was the data wrong or was my system not actually making them feel that way? It's a, there's an interesting disconnect where like the many, the more layers you have between the original communication, the more suspect, like when retention drops 5%, okay, retention just dropped 5%. There's no debating, yeah. right? That's the thing that happened when someone says, ah, oh, I feel like the power fantasy and someone else says, I feel whatever a different fantasy is that's when you get a little bit trickier to make sure you're making the right calls for the right people yeah yeah but then at the same time like if you're getting these type of quality feedback you can actually ah uh, you know you would have to do it on android but you can test them out with the creatives and see how those creatives affect and what kind of mm -hmm. cohorts you're acquiring if you're acquiring truly the ones that that match the personas that you were looking at the other favorable personas and this is what they, they the kind of fantasy you want they want and then you promote that in the ad and you're getting more of those type of users so that segment kind of grows and that is the segment that you wanted to grow and um and that's the way how you're able to to grow your game in theory but you know then there's the practice which is always very different um <laughs> no it's solid uh, you want a job because it feels like you got a really good grasp <laughs> i think i have too many jobs uh, okay, fair, <laughs> so, fair so thank you um so i wanted to talk about i want to get back to to um to idle games so how many mm -hmm. idle games have you guys shipped globally oh geez um so many i mean we have this is many. <laughs> we have we have three active ones i'm trying to honestly remember uh the number of ones that we tried there's, there's probably three or four other ones that just yeah. were tried out in our early years in the more recent years it's been uh just basically the three and we have uh as i mentioned there's there's some stuff being worked on right now all right so I'm, what i'm interested in, in this how come some of them succeed and others fail? And I'm, I'm going to use, shout out to Calibri. There's nothing, I, don't, I just use them as an example because mm -hmm. they are among the best in this genre. Absolutely. Uh, and truly, you know, respect to the, the whole team and the founders. What I was, why I use them as an example is they came up with their first game, Idle Miner Tycoon, and blew it out the water with like day one, 80% retention, just absolutely monster results from, from, from guys who have never, to my knowledge, shipped a game before. And that kind of creates the misconception of look how easy it is. You can be a yeah. student out of your yeah. own room with a couple of guys, make a game that makes tens of millions and then ride off to the sunset. But nevertheless, they were unable to follow up that success with mm -hmm. another title so what i'm trying to ask you is like you guys have been on it longer than calibri 
what separate like why certain idle games succeed and others fail like how soon do you know it um do you use the uh the, the fast to market process to really gouge the uh uh the sustainability of the game and um and yeah like when do you know it's not working yes very deep questions <laughs> try not to give away all our secrets um <laughs> no that that's valid and again huge show to, like the thing that Calibri did so so well and continue to do well is they can find something that they find fun and other people find fun as well and i mean that is one of the most like quintessential parts of any development it's why it's why i threw out the whole idea that yeah if you make ten thousand games a few of them are going to be a hit it's because some people have these amazing gut instincts they've been doing this forever or just playing games forever uh so they've nailed that but that's i like to say that's more the art side the science side has to be there as well so you know <laughs> i played their farming game right and it was fun. Merging stuff is fun. It's a great mechanic. They knew what they were doing. They kept the balance pretty decent for my first few days. And then I hit a wall where I literally couldn't progress for two weeks straight. It was like the amount of time it took to even literally combine one thing was just falling off because it's math. You can't fake math. Math has to be there. And I mean, in their defense, it was an early launch. They probably didn't care. They got their data from me and probably moved on. Um, but that's kind of the nature of these products is... Um, yeah, when without going too far down their path to, to go back to your original question, um, it's not easy to know when to stop. We do care so much about that early retention. I, I do like to say D1 tells you people like your game enough to play. If your D1 is decent, you can should be able to get people to stick around for an enormous amount of time if you give them the right hooks. Um, but I'll say that is honestly the biggest separation is that like idle is so good for that d1 experience and, and even cap right it is so simple you don't even know why you want to play it but you know it is so satisfying to unlock one more thing and fill one more bar and invest your money that part's not hard the hard part is like look at that game and try to imagine yourself playing it for six months and that's where even ad cap has its biggest struggles is i bet you can even guess what the game would be like is it exactly this again because then i'll probably put it down right now and it's why we're infusing other kinds of content so it's really tough. Like I love the, you know, some of the things I've heard from Supercell is they, they aim for enormous D30 retention because, you know, they're, you know, it's like bowling if you aim for the end of the lane and you, and you can hit it, you know, pretty effectively that you're going to hit it multiple times. But that is really where the challenge in idle lies is you can get that incredibly addicting early experience. People will want to come back. They may not know why they want to come back, but trying to set up proper goal setting, give people a reason that they can envision playing two days from now, seven days from now. And minor, for instance, kind of nailed that because like you can scroll forever. Like you can see your future in that game and it's kind of compelling. I'm going to keep going farther. I'm going to do the most fun part of this game 60 more times. And I don't even realize that I'm addicted to it. Um, but eventually the game slows down and you realize the actual gameplay is just scrolling and scrolling and looking for the thing to invest in. And that's not what you did for the first 30 seconds of the game. First 30 seconds of the game is not repeated ever again if you just play it naturally mm -hmm. it's like that, that three-way relationship the second they're managed it's a different title and uh that's kind of the problem is they've got that incredibly fun thing and then the game slowly shifts to being about actually something else so so essentially you're saying that um you said you know aiming for that d30 the uh, the supercell approach mm -hmm. does that mean that when you're testing a game the first thing that you're testing for is d30 no, no, definitely not. <laughs> no, you still got to nail that D1. <laughs> I okay, respect If that's what they do, I respect it so much. And I could never work there because I just cry myself to, to sleep every night. Uh, but no, you've got to nail that initial experience. But you also have to plan for a D30. You have to know that your game is playable. And honestly, it, it should be 
kind of an inverted relationship. Your game should be getting better over time. There should be more to interact with, the things that make your game most fun. And I will give Captain as an example. It's got a really tricky prestige mechanic, what we call it, when you basically restart over, but it starts faster. And our game really does shift as well. Like initially, it is just about getting those first 10 generators, but the gameplay entirely shifts over after you've reset for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes about the next efficient time to reset. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a completely different set of addicting experience that is frankly, I think more fun. <laughs> so the people that get indexed to it will stay forever. Um, but if you don't have that moment, like I, I will, I'll reference Spiner, their, their reset doesn't happen for like weeks. So you never learn that. It doesn't become a learned behavior. It doesn't become a core part of their gameplay. So they kind of sidestep that by letting you start out 30 new minds. Um, but yeah, you've got to have that fun experience at its core. But if you if the player doesn't understand you're building to something, like your game can change 30 times. But if your player doesn't know it's there, it's all irrelevant to them. They'll leave on D1 never knowing that there was 90% of the game left. They'll just know that they're bored of what they're doing. Got it. So, so just show show where the player is heading towards and with a mind that's easy because you just look yeah down to the deep and you Scroll. can see all the kind of crazy treasure that is in the bottom the, the dragon exactly. and whatnot and you're heading for that um give me some kpis like let's say i'm i'm launching a, an idle game i'm putting it mm -hmm. into soft soft launch what am i looking for day one like what's a what's a passable uh so idle is pretty famous for a high uh, D1 retention. I mean, again, Miner killed it. So the, <laughs> the fact that you said 80% earlier makes it terrifying. <laughs> That's not what people should aim for. Um, but I mean, RPGs, you could be lucky with 15%, call it a win and you have such deep spend. Mm -hmm. uh, idle really is a player's thing. It's about getting the most people through because monetization is the much harder point. So if you can hit between 35 and 45, you're probably way That's near the it. top. 35 to 45? Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. All right. If you know how to, if you can also monetize that game. <laughs> no, no, I mean, but this is like the first step. So if I launch an idle game and I'm seeing 38 and I'm like, we are fucked because idle miner is 80. There's no, no chance in hell. <laughs> no, that's like looking at the tallest man in the world and being like, I'm not even seven feet tall. Why am yeah. I still here? Like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, like, you're uh, still like five, eight and your life is going to be fine. <laughs> Okay, got it. Okay, 35 to 45, and you're still alive. Um, what are we looking for CPI? Like, what's too high? Uh, I mean, CPI versus LTV is always going to be the relationship. And I think that's telling because, again, so few of these games monetize well. So yeah. few of them have monetization at the core. They're usually just heavily rely on ads. And that's there's a, there's a literal ceiling to that. You can't just keep adding more watches. It'll be fine. You know, the ad providers don't want to pay for bad watches. So, um, it's tough, you know, if you can get, if you can get a couple of bucks and then you hope that you have a theme that really resonates with people and like you're really able to get some cheap insults. I bet auto miners installs were extremely cheap. Mining resonates with everybody. You know, that's, it's one of those classic themes. Capitalism does quite well, mm -hmm. you know, especially in North America. Um, but that's, that's the marketing game is if you're finding yourself in the four or $5 range, you should have made a card game. Like you yeah. should have done something that was going to monetize like crazy. Cause that's, that is the race. Okay, so go under, all right, so under $2, and, the, and we're talking about tier one, US, um, probably male, uh, male to female, is it 50-50? Uh, it's actually, there's a surprisingly larger spread even between our products, so it's been an ongoing kind of debate. Um, I will say that we, 
our games are probably closer to 50-50 than, than many of them are now because there are a lot of them are picking polarizing themes. Um, but the thing that our research has told us is that we probably can't confidently answer that question. That's what I got to say. Got it. Okay. So let's just throw it in there. 50-50, depending on mm -hmm. the theme, we can go either way. But yeah. on, in general, it's, uh, it's a very uh, broad genre because there's no core gameplay. Anybody can play an idle game. Because you don't have to even play it. I mean, you can play it, but you know, there's a minimum amount. I'd say there's a very light strategic choice. That's the yes. nice, polite way of putting it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's easy. Um, all right. So we got we got that. We got the uh, the day one. We got the um, um. Okay. So when I'm looking at monetization, is it fifty fifty between in-app ads and and ad monetization? Uh. It for a lot of games it is uh, a lot of games it's even more heavily leveraged on ads. Some of them are almost just ads now. Like you'll like you'll look at a game and not be able to understand why anyone would spend money on it, which is a valid model if it's working for them. Um, but I'll say it shouldn't be the goal. It's certainly not our goal. Like our our later products are far more leveraged into IAP uh, than ad. Like you think. The holy grail is getting just as much revenue from ads as you would have with another game, but uh, have a disproportionately large amount of IAP. So that is the tricky thing. That's why, again, I, I bring up Gotcha because it is a type of spend model that people understand that they can engage with. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's why so many more idle games are gravitating towards it because idle games, almost more than anyone else, sell progress for progress's sake. Mm -hmm. And it's a very unsexy thing to try to sell people uh, for hard currency. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty common probably to be a 50-50 split, but you should be aiming higher with IAP. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the pretty much the um, the estimation we've done. We've actually done like 50-50% in-app purchases on average in an idle game. And that's how we we uh, we look at the market. But since we're talking about ad revenue um, and ads overall, mm -hmm. let's talk about the future of idle games. So sure. post-ATT, what is the... Um, what has been the impact on your user acquisition and what has been the impact on ad monetization on iOS? Oh, actually, uh, both because, yeah. I mean, I'll say it's, it's the general consensus. We ask the question every single week and they're sick mm -hmm. of us asking that question. Um, it's a lot of guesses right now. It's a lot of guesses whether exactly there's so many things happening in the world right now that it's really hard to say, like, is this specifically because of this change? Um, and it was actually rolled out relatively recently. So, so far, we haven't been, I'd say, majorly impacted by it. You know, ad campaigns maybe are a little more expensive than they were. Um, but generally speaking, we haven't felt the hit yet. But mm -hmm. everyone's still a little bit nervous about it. But I don't think anyone's as nervous as we were, say, six months ago. Yeah, I think it's because fingerprinting still still exists with the uh, with the attribution platform. So I think Apple will be enforcing it towards the end of the year. That's how that's how has been our uh, hypothesis, and the, the impact will be clearer. Uh, so you mentioned the rise of CPIs. Is that on iOS or Android? Of course, on Android at least. Um, again, it's a bit polarized. We actually have like depending on our game, we have wildly disparate uh, CPIs. Um. I'm not the expert. I'd have to double check with which one is really going up. I just know that, you know, having launched games more recently, yeah. uh, we definitely had a harder time than we did say two years ago. Got it. So, and that could be also because of the competitiveness of the market. Exactly. That is constantly increasing. So, so that, that could be one of the things. Um, what do you project? Because um, with, with the extensive amount of ad monetization in these games, 
there's two ways what can happen to CPMs. They can go mm -hmm. up like they probably have on Android, making Android yeah. a more uh, interesting platform to launch games because, well, the the, uh, the marketing is a little bit easier. Uh, just to some extent, the, uh, the amount of devices is definitely a difficult uh, part, but uh, you can actually track a little bit better and to see how the uh, different cohorts uh, behave. And then, of course, as more games are doing Android first, as we're seeing now with a lot of big publishers, Lilith as a good example, uh, mm -hmm. choosing to, to launch on Android first, that naturally increases the CPMs because there's more advertising on, and that benefits games that have a significant ad monetization component. Uh, but then on the other side, there's a hypothesis that the CPM can actually decrease, but it depends. So what I'm trying yeah. to ask here is, do you know what kind of advertisers tend to advertise in your games? Or is it just pretty much everybody? Yeah, that's actually, that's, that's interesting because that's kind of the core of it. So I'll give my, my harebrained theories now. Um, it's interesting because that, like that's, that's UA advertising market has shifted in the last few years in the exact opposite direction of where it's likely going to go. It used to be such a, a person game. It used to be people would talk to other people and say, I'll give you this much money if you let me do this thing. And it was no, no offense to those people. It's crazy that, that even existed in the in like the digital age, um, but we moved away from it. Right now we're in in app bidding, and this is all done automatically. And it was all in everyone's best interest because the data was getting stronger, and now the data is getting weaker. So um, my theories is that probably reputation is going to play take another big part, just like it used to. Um, so AdCap, for instance, has a fantastic reputation for in app uh, ads because we do get a very broad user base. Our players could play almost anything else. Like they're not so polarized that they'll only play other idle games. So that's been one of the reasons why we've been a popular game to go to for years. So we might do okay. We might even go up, right? Because they, we are a known quantity for people that can't guess exactly where their ads are gonna go to. But for a new product, for an untested product that's going out into the market for the first time, much scarier. Like yeah. it may end up being much harder for those people or their ads are worth less simply because you couldn't have the confidence in who you're getting versus someone with this like really long history to point at. What kind of advertisers tend to advertise in your game? So I'm talking more about genres. Uh, what I'm trying to understand is this. Um, is an idle RPG a great ad in an idle game? Is another idle game a great ad in an idle game? In other words, <laughs> what kind of cross promotion works? In other words, who'd be acquiring <laughs> Hyper Hippo to boost their uh, audience? Um, there is an enormous amount of, of idle game. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, right? The fact that the market's not growing means where a lot of us are just kind of shuffling players between us. There's also a lot of theories that idle games are the type of games you can yeah. play many of and not necessarily lose out on one so we've actually had you know arrangements where we might knowingly share with another uh, idle product simply because it's in everybody's best interest um so yeah i'd say that predominantly you'll experience um the games in the idle genre but again for us specifically because we have that broad user base you can probably get an ad for almost any game out there and um rpgs i think are becoming more common people are probably seeing the connection between people obsessed with numbers and obsessed with progression probably would be obsessed with the same thing if you gave someone a sword got it got it and then um, so that's depending on the theme and of course mm -hmm. if you do a farming game then some kind of a more female focused simulator type of game can can try to acquire those players. Are puzzle games big on advertising and idle? 
Um, I'll be honest that I'm my experiences are tainted by whatever I would be getting targeted by, and I never see a puzzle game. Yeah, so I don't know that that's actually representative or if that's just more me. I think it's I just know. a very different type of player profile. The uh, the, the puzzle solvers, the ones that want to want to kind of chill, and those who, who want to see numbers go up without <laughs> yeah. any kind of game. Plan. I'd agree. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground here. Um, let's you know, let's end this with talking about the future of idle games and the future mm. of hyper hippo like where where is your business going and what do you see hyper hippo and uh even like five years is crazy three years is really far off let's go in a year <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very generous um maybe i could talk a bit about where i think uh idols going first and kind of wrap a background to, to why i think you know that's the path we should be on um but as mentioned right it, it does seem like the nature of what makes idle games work is the thing people care about, not this, not the fact that it's even called, like, I'll be honest, we're debating whether we should even have the word idle in our products. You'll notice that we don't currently, right? And that it's a polarizing name. But, you know, the reality is that idle player behavior seems to line up better than ever uh, with what players or people are actually doing, right? Something you can play for a few minutes that's rewarding every single time you pick it up, you know, that always is a little bit fun, doesn't have a huge burden. And if you want to interrupt someone to talk, you're not actually going to lose your five-minute match of Clash or something. So that, I think, is, is really what the future is about. It's about taking all the best parts of that and trying to apply it to, to new and, and interesting ideas. So that's, that's definitely the direction we're trying to take it. It's not as simple as, hey, we're the next idol whatever, though we do still care very much about that genre. But we're trying to think, what is, what is the way to move the, the market forward? Because that's what AdCap originally did, and even uh, Adventure Commons is a very different core loop. That's I've only think I've seen only once in in the three hundred or so other loops that I've seen out there. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. Is we'd love to we'd love to be royalty in the space. We we won't lie, but we're also very aware that you know people might not even say the word idle five years from now. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. might just. It might be like, you know, there used to be Farmville clones, right? And they, people don't say that anymore. That's not what it is. It's just a system the games are picked up on or town builders. I suspect that the genre is going in that direction where it will become a support system for almost any kind of gameplay because it does so many things well in terms of retention and initial playability. And it's why things like AFK Arena exists. And I, I think the success of that product especially is going to show people that there's a lot of room for supporting other interesting games with these mechanics. Um what's the size of the what are the team sizes then so adventure capitalist you said was made by pretty much by one guy who <laughs> learned to code himself to make the the uh, the first prototype and probably was bundled with two others that finished up the game uh but what are the team sizes today and where do you see the team size going we're talking about both production as well as live games for sure so even adcap had to scale up to you know uh over over a dozen people, which is still frankly pretty. They, they were all, I would say, too lean, you know, for for the success of the product that they had. Um, since then, we are still trying to stay relatively small and agile for for what we're doing. So we have some games that we know are kind of bigger bets that will likely be closer to maybe that twenty person mark. We're not looking for a hundred person game. That's not where we're going to succeed. Uh, but we are trying to make the most of you know, can we get a few energized people? to make something work and then build a team around them of you know 10 to 15 to kind of make it happen and get it on the market, just keep building up that steam. Um, but right now I'd say, yeah, between 10 and 20 is our sweet spot, both probably both for uh, live ops and development, but our live team is obviously growing with uh, with three games taking up a lot of our attention right now. 
That's not too bad. You're you're not making it a, a good case for a new startup not to start. <laughs> no, you can do it. Just yeah, just have the right people. The right people can do anything. Just never suspect that. Oh, you know, I can make Minecraft. Yeah. It doesn't look hard, right? No big deal. I'll just be the next Minecraft. Easy. Like just never have that. It'll just be the reason that you're looking for a new job soon. All right, Remy. Thank you so much. Um, a lot of information on, on idle games, on the future of idle games, on the past of idle games, um, great benchmarks and, and Hyper Hippo is of course on the, uh, the forefront of, of, the, uh, of the whole, whole genre for, for years. So thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's my absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Hope I didn't give too much away and uh, really appreciate oh, the opportunity to talk. Too, everything that was too much has been cut off from this podcast. Beautiful. After after, after a careful editing session. So nobody got, you know, crazy competitive advantages. Unless you, you sign up for the Patreon version that has everything. <laughs> Joe, but, yeah. have a Patreon version. <laughs> but to throw back to that thing that you cut out. Yes, if you want to know exactly how to make a perfect successful game every time, just join Hyper Hippo. We are hiring. Perfect. On that note, thank you everybody for listening. All right. Take care.